Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Genesis Invitational. And joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, what's up, buddy? I'm so I'm fired up for this week. You know, I get excited every week for the DFS. Like, this is a fun day. It's the start of a new week. There's so much. To, we, this is the day we get to look at the whole field. So I love this day. Um, but when we get an event like this, elevated status, you know, three years exemption to the winner, great major championship like golf course. I mean, this is, you know, this is why we do this kind of thing. All the FedEx cup points you can imagine, which oh. I know is important. Um, also, Rider this cup points. Riviera is going to host the 2028 Olympic Games. So we are seven years out from that, but get ready. You're, well, you're it's foreshadowing, stay. right? I mean, you're, we're really looking. I know Sia is saying who's going to win the gold in 2028. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Sia Najad joining us. Sia was talking our ear off before we started about who's going to win the Olympics. He's got it all (laughs) handicapped out already. Sia, welcome. Good to talk to you. How are you? We're we're coming off a big win for Johnny Berger's brother. So that is fantastic. (laughs) I know uh, you guys had that pegged a little bit here and there. Um, But no, I'm excited too. I I really, Greg, to your point, I'm really excited that we get to do this show on a Monday and we just like kind of like see an initial look and and let that develop over the week. But I love diving in Sunday night, Monday morning, and that's what we get to do for this show. So I'm, I'm super psyched. Before we jump into this week, which in my opinion is one of the best weeks of the year, I, I've got free stuff to give away and, and I'm still giving away more free stuff. So we've been offering up sports line subscriptions, a free year to sports line. We are still giving them out, but I have last week's winner who is at DFS underscore MKE. Congratulations. You've got a year subscription to sports line. And if you would like to win a yearly subscription to sports line, here's all you have to do leave a five-star rating and review in apple Podcasts for the first cut drop in the review a player to finish inside the top 10 at this week's genesis invitational leave us your twitter handle so we can tell you that you've won and that's basically it you know make sure you're following us on twitter so we can send you a dm if you've already entered steal your wife's your girlfriend's phone enter from there grab an old ipad fire it up throw in a review whatever you know get those uh get those reviews in there get your entries in and you could win access to the patented sports line model and all of their award winning picks gentlemen genesis how about this? Not only is it a short field, Greg, that's what you mentioned. This is the invitational status, 120 golfers, but it is all the top tier guys here. And Riviera, uh, I might be a bit biased. I was at this event last year. I love this event. That It is really one of the best courses that we get on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, it is. It's it's pure, right? It asks for, um, it, it challenges your entire game. And so one of the things that we've been kind of doing, I think we've been doing a pretty good job of lately. Um, definitely since Sia has been here is tagging the, the theme of the week and some weeks they have a real theme. Look, there's a, there's a real emphasis on a certain area of the game. I'm finding this week. I'm interested to get, uh, to hear what you have to say about this, Rick, or what the, or what the numbers have to say. Um, but there's definitely an emphasis on driving this week. There's an Mm -hmm. emphasis, not just driving accuracy, but, Distance is extremely important too. And iron play we know is always important, but the, the this is another one of those weeks like the farmers where short game uh, scrambling seems to be really important. I was reading that, um, that, that the greens here are significantly harder to hit than tour average in regulation. Yep. Uh, fairways are significantly harder to hit than they are on the PGA tour average in regulation. So it's um, there's, there's definitely a scrambling element this week, which I love because it brings the whole field into play. Um, so, so, uh, I also think there's a clear theme. There's a clear type of player who I think will do well here. Um, it may seem vast, but I do think there's a theme that runs between all of them. 
The numbers bear that out as well, Greg. The Rick Run Good, that model that I run every single week. A driving distance, that's the third most important stat. Putting, strokes gain putting, that is the second most important stat. Strokes gain around the green is the most important stat. Yeah. So it, it it makes sense. These are these greens are difficult to hit. Sia, you're going to have to get up and down. And and really, you know, this is by no means winged foot U.S. Open standard of difficulty. But this was the tenth most difficult course on the PGA Tour last season. Adam Scott won this event by shooting a one under seventy on Sunday. That should just illustrate that because we don't often get something like that on the PGA Tour. So this is tougher than average. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities, Sia, where getting up and down for par ends up being a good score. Yeah, which is it goes to your point about around the green game and and putting and the short game in general. I mean, you're looking for all the facets. I mean, Greg brought it up. You, you do kind of want to be long off the tee if possible. So off the tee and approach matter like they always do. But it, you got to have the other things here too. You got to have all the tools in the bag, so to speak. So it, you know that that's sort of what I'm going to be looking for. I will have a lean to longer hitters personally. But that doesn't mean short hitters aren't in play from a DFS standpoint. I, you, you'll see later in the show. I have a few guys that are certainly short that I like because. Frankly, their short game is good, too. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I think we're going to see a lot of the big names on Sunday at the top of the leaderboard. I think that's kind of an obvious point. But I also think there's some sneaky guys in that 7 and 8K range that also have the potential to be there. So I'm excited to kind of hash that out. This event was absolute chaos last year. Sunday, the back nine was uh, frantic. There was like a million guys with a shot. You know, Harold Varner the third touches the lead. Cole tops one off of 10. Uh, Morikawa's flying up the leaderboard. It's Adam Scott who prevails. And if you want to see how everything plays out this weekend, we've got you covered on CBS. Both Saturday and Sunday coverage is provided by CBS. And there are more ways to watch than ever. You can, if you'd like, watch over, you know, boring old television, or you can watch by streaming your local CBS station on CBS All Access. You can watch for free on CBSSports.com, and you can watch for free on the CBS Sports app. Gentlemen, $10,000 range. It's headlined by Dustin Johnson back in the field this week at 11,300. Justin Thomas, 10.7. Rory McIlroy, 10.5. John Rahm, 10,400. And Bryson, big, beefy Bryson, $10,100. See ya. This 10K range, obviously stacked. We've got to split hairs here. Where are we going now? You said it, and we kind of say it every week, right? You have to split hairs here. I mean, there's not a really compelling argument against any of these guys, but but there's certainly, you know, compelling arguments for guys. And I got, you know, I did this last week too, and then he ended up withdrawing. But Dustin Johnson, I mean, I, I don't really know how you make – and by the way, Dustin Johnson's – price here isn't that unreasonable. I mean, I understand why his price is what it is because it is such a stacked field, but I think Dustin Johnson is the class here. And I, I know I'm going to be having, you know, I'm going to be rostering him in, in quite a few lineups as I scan this range. And by the way, Dustin Johnson's history here is awesome. I mean, the four out of the last five is a top 10 and the one where it wasn't a top 10 was a paltry 16th. So, I mean, <laughs> he's striking the ball everywhere, you know, around the short game and long game is there. Obviously, I like Dustin quite a bit. And as I go down this range, I did say I'm going to have a lean towards longer hitters. And, and I like this guy, too, because he can get hot with the putter. We haven't seen his potential sort of lately, but I know the potential is there. And I think Bryson DeChambeau is probably the next guy I'm going to be keying in on in this range. Bryson DeChambeau has improved his finish each of the four years that he's played this event. He withdrew in 2017. He finished 41st the next year, 15th the next, and fifth last year. There's only so much room for improvement if that trend continues, Greg. And I actually want to dive into a little bit of what uh, Sia had mentioned. I think this is what Sia is alluding to is when you look at the betting market, when you look at the odds for this week for Dustin Johnson, he is five and a half to one. To put that into perspective, he was four to one last week before he withdrew and he was the only stud in the field. Now he's five and a half to one in a field where every single golfer on the face of the earth is here. But when you look at how that translates to the DraftKings pricing, it's actually not that bad. He's only 11,300. It's pretty reasonable. I, I think I would rather have him in my fantasy lineup than I would betting him outright. You're absolutely right. I mean, well, you he's still a good bet outright because there's a there is a really good likelihood that he's going to win this tournament. He is um he's operating at um a level we don't see very often in the game. Uh, you go across the board, he, he's driving it. I mean, strokes gain off the tee, he's 23rd on tour. But if I look at these numbers, he's hitting at 314 off the tee. 
Okay. There's not a, that's plenty long for any golf course. It, it happens to be eighth on tour. So he has got all the distance in the world. We know that, but he's hitting 64% of his fairways, which is extremely high for a player hitting it that far. So he's driving it long. He's driving it accurately. And his iron play, he's hitting 76% of his greens in regulation. And the two definitely go hand in hand. So I love what he's doing tee to green. But my favorite aspect about uh, about Dustin Johnson this year is his strokes gain around the green. It's gone to 16th. And he's really improved in that short game area. So in the rare case that he does miss a green, he's given himself a great opportunity to get up and down. So I, I love DJ for every reason. And I think at this price, this is another aspect I love about a tournament like this when you get into depth of field. There are more options in the 6K range than there typically are. Where last week you have him at 12 and you're throwing darts, anything seven and below. So it's really hard to rationalize having uh, a $12,000 player in your lineup when it, it really makes you sacrifice the right. Re- you can't get a speed. You can't get a burger because you're just, you're hammered at the bottom here. You really have freedom to go with whatever there's, there's options everywhere. And so for that reason, I have a hard time looking past DJ in this in this um, in this group right here. Maybe a John Rom because John Rom's short game is so strong. His record yes. here is pretty good. He's a great driver of the ball, as we know. And like I was saying earlier, I, I'm my focus is driving uh, with a with a lean towards length, as Sia said, and short game. Those two areas are really important for me. And John Rom is a guy who I think of as a great driver, great short game. And the iron play is maybe the the thing that's not as elite as the rest of his game. I'm glad you brought up John Rom because uh, and and when we've seen him win, it has been Muirfield Village, it has been Olympia Fields. Those are difficult golf courses. We yep. are going to get a more difficult golf course than average here at Riviera this week. But see, I want to just hammer this thought process home. We are playing a salary cap game. You are looking for value. When you are splitting hairs and you look at some of the salaries, I see John Rahm is $10,400. He is $900 cheaper than Dustin Johnson. I look at the betting odds. I see that Dustin Johnson is five and a half to one. And I see that John Rahm is the second favorite at 12 to one. Well, now those things don't add up. So if you believe odds makers and, and if, and how good they are at their job, uh, then John Rahm is inherently undervalued be, by being the fourth most expensive golfer and $900 cheaper than Dustin Johnson. Yeah, I totally agree. And just so you know, my approach when I look at guys that I want to pick from week to week, I'm always looking for value. And, and sometimes I'm crossing over into that betting market to find it. Or sometimes I'm just looking at the price and saying, oh my gosh, for example, Ryan Palmer's 7,000, you know, when we came back <laughs> when we came back from the break. And I'm like, well, that's just, you know, disrespectful. Let me take Ryan Palmer. So yeah, you're always looking for value. And your point, if if we're just analyzing this from a value standpoint, John Rahm is probably the king of the mountain and DJ's probably right there because he's still a reasonable price. So I, sure. I, I love the argument. So Rick, uh, when you when you look at that, how I know that you've done that very often. You bring that up all the time, um, the value with the betting odds and and the DraftKings pricing, that difference. How successful do you find that to be? Because I, I look at it personally. And this may just be my my lack of uh, wisdom on the subject, but I'm looking at who who's going to win the event, and then in in this range especially. So I'm looking at DJ is going to win the event, and then can I afford to support that lineup with other guys that I think can contend? And in this case, yes. But like, how much how much value is there really at the end of the day with Rom over DJ if DJ goes out and and wins? Well, if DJ wins, it it doesn't matter what the value was, right? right. He just goes out and wins the right. golf wins the golf tournament. But like you know, looking at these at these odds, you know, is is Dustin Johnson twice as likely, Greg, to win this golf tournament than John Rahm is? It, well, no, probably no. I wouldn't say so. P- probably not. They both win it a lot, right? Say right. say Dustin Johnson wins it. 10% of the time, which is a ton and say that John Rom wins it 8% of 8% of the time. Also a ton that yeah. that is not being reflected in the markets. Cause the markets say that, that Dustin Johnson is twice as likely to win this golf tournament. So unfortunately, you know, and I know odds makers, they're not trying to predict the outcome of this event. They're not, they are trying to make sure that they don't get burned on somebody going out and winning. They're trying to get their money spread out so that when at the end of Sunday evening, they've, they've made enough on whoever wins this golf tournament. So I understand that, but they are pretty good at predicting this. So, so it's 
unfortunately, Greg, um, you know, we get a lot of small sample sizes in golf, right? Like if Dustin Johnson wins this thing, we're going to be like, oh yeah, like of, of course he, we, sh- we shouldn't have cared about the $900, but you know, over time, over a hundred of these, over a thousand of these in theory, continually taking the value should be a good play, but it makes you look silly from week to week. So and, and does that make you lean yeah. towards, sorry, see it. Does that make no, you no. lean towards Rom right now? If you're, if you have a single entry lineup, are you going Rom over DJ? I, I think, okay. So I think the most optimal way to build your lineup would be with Rom over DJ. Now I might say, I don't care what's optimal and I want to have the guy that I think is the best. And I can maybe try to be more optimal further down the slate. But I think yeah. if you were just a blindless computer pressing buttons, you would almost have to play Rom over Dustin Johnson in this situation. Sweet. Yeah, and, and I was just going to say the other component to this, of course, is ownership percentage, which we kind of sort of track and find out as the week goes. Because obviously, if I mean, we already know about the value component that we just discussed, but obviously if Dustin Johnson is like 25% owned and John Rahm is, you know, maybe just 16% owned, which by the way, I don't think that will be the gap. But if that were the case, then John Rahm would be an even more compelling play. So, I mean, I think that that needs to get factored into the value component as well. The $9,000 range, uh, this is really compelling because these are the guys that are usually in the $10,000 range. I mean, these are absolute studs in the 9K range. It's led off by Xander Shoffley at 9,900. Brooks Kepka coming off a win at 9,700. Patrick Cantlay, uh, all the guy does is, is shoot and, and break and tie course records. He's 96. Colin Morikawa, 95. Our newest champion on the PGA Tour, Daniel Berger, 94. Tony Finau, 93. Spieth at 92. Hideki at 91. Adam Scott, your defending champion at 9,000. Greg, this is, like, uh, uh, this is an all-star squad in the second tier. This is unbelievable. Yeah, it, it, this is a, a tough one, right? Because I, I look at first and foremost at, at the top of the board is Xander Shoffley. And to me, he is the epitome of what's successful here. You look at what he did at the Farmers Insurance Open. I know his record hasn't been great there, but he came in second this time around. And it asks a lot of the same questions of your game. Wingfoot asks a lot of the same questions of your game. I picture Xander coming down the stretch on the second nine on Sunday. And when he misses a green, in a tough spot, you're not too worried about it. You know he's gonna he's gonna get himself in the mix, and and the short game's a big reason why. I really trust the short game. I really trust his putting, and he has. I mean, at the waste management, he was driving the ball forever, uh, which I think surprised a lot of people. He yeah, seemed it to surprised, find some new distance. It surprised me a ton. I brought that up with Mark, and I'm like, is this guy really this long? It's uh, it's it's yeah. unreal, Greg. If 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 he if he turns that thing into a weapon, it's over. So I I look at. Xander and I see the, a ton of value there because he at every step of the way checks the boxes um, and it's also a place that he happens to have a nice history at now Patrick Cantlay is another guy Brooks I'm, I'm not quite sold on Brooks yet although I love what he did at the waste management I don't think he's proven a consistent um, performance on the PGA Tour year over year enough to warrant me picking him in this in this group I, I, I'll I'll miss on Brooks right now because I got Xander. I got Cantlay, who's a California kid who's in great form right now. I mean, the round of golf that he played on Sunday, he he just had a lid on the hole, right? He couldn't get anything to drop, but he gave himself on almost every single hole on the back nine a putt inside of 15 feet. And he could have won that tournament nearly running away uh, if a couple of those putts fall. So I love Cantlay in California, hometown kid. I love that. Um, and then the other guy that I would really, uh, that I have questions about would be Jordan Spieth. What are we going to do with Jordan? What, yeah. what, that, that's the guy that I, I ask you all about. Cause I worry about his driving ability. He's not long enough for me to get all over it and he's not accurate enough for me to get all over it. Um, but I love his confidence right now. I love his short game. Mm-hmm. I love his putting. And he, and he, he said after his round yesterday, this is one of his favorite golf courses on tour. Yeah, well, Jordan says that a lot. I feel like uh, he's, he's a positive a, guy. He's a very positive guy. My my problem with Jordan Spieth and C, I'd love to bring you in on this nine K range as well. Here is Spieth is, I think, significantly more likely to make a big number than a lot of these other guys in this range. And I also think that Riviera has a knack of finding a big number. Right? It's like when you are in baseball and you're a, a, a third baseman who's a power hitter and you're not great with the glove, like you know you're getting a ground ball in the bottom of it. Like it's going to find you. Like it has a way of finding you. And big numbers have a, a, a have a way of finding you at Riviera. And we saw Jordan Spieth do that at 10 two years ago. 
I mean, he couldn't get out of the bunker. He he took a, a quad and shot an 81 on Sunday. I mean, it's just he he has a knack for finding those big numbers. So that's kind of my problem with Spieth, especially around a place like this, Sia. But I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this 9K range as a whole. Yeah, as far as Spieth is concerned, I mean, I've been on Team No Spieth for quite some time now, and, and I'm not bragging about that. That's sort of been to my detriment the last <laughs> for, for three and a half years, it worked. For two weeks, it didn't. Yeah, that's very fair. But but the reality is, yeah, off the tee, I just see him finding trouble. And when we have such an elite field, I mean, I think it made more sense. I know Greg was big on Jordan Spieth last week. It made more sense, I think, last week to be on him. But with this type of field, those these guys in the 9K and 10K and maybe some in the 8 and 7K range, they're not going to be making those mistakes off the tee. And so I just feel like you're you're forcing Jordan at this point whereas last week you weren't really it kind of made sense to play him the other guys I like I'm kind of with Greg on this one I like Xander a lot um listen recent we know his track record here is good but recent form has been really kind of great second second fifth he's in really good form like you said he's driving it longer which will help him here and that kind of segues nicely into Patrick Cantlay I mean, talk about a guy that has all the tools in the bag. I, I need to come up with a better analogy than that, but or a better metaphor. But listen, Patrick Cantlay does everything right. He he drives it long. He's he's reasonably accurate. He's good with the irons, and his short game is great. Like you said, Greg, you know, if, if he had just made a couple more putts and maybe gotten a little bit more momentum, and maybe if Daniel Berger didn't make two eagles yesterday, yeah, I, yeah. it's Cantlay's tournament to win. I mean, if we're being honest about it, I mean, it's, if we talk about splitting hairs, I mean, Cantlay really could have taken that tournament down. So I, at a course like this, I like, and you said the Cali kid thing as well, you know, kind of a home field advantage there. I like Xander and Patrick Cantlay the most. I think Daniel Berger's interesting because I think his price is really, really fair here. And, and I think it makes sense to put him in a lineup, even though he is coming off a win and people don't like to do that. But honestly, those are the only three guys I'm really looking at. Uh, I'd like to tell you guys one story, and then I would also like to uh, tell you something that I, I I couldn't stop thinking about last night. So first, I'll start with the story, and it's stories. it's about Colin Morikawa. Uh, so I was at this event following his group on Thursday morning last year, and he went out in forty, which is four over. And I'm looking at it going, this the cut streak's still alive at this point. Like I'm like this, it's over. Like the cut streak's over. He's four over on his first nine holes. Like yeah, Vince Carter dot gif. Like it's <laughs> over. Um, and I watched him grind it back, make a couple birdies coming in. I watched him play great on Friday, and then he would eventually touch the lead on Sunday before I think he five putted like eleven. Like he took a he took an eight, uh, I think on eleven or twelve, and. That was it. You know, he falls to T26. He made like two more bogeys coming in. But like he for 66 of 72 holes last year, he was phenomenal. Now he's a major champion. Now his game is so much more mature. Nobody's talking about him at 9,500. I think that's a really good spot. And Greg, this one's for you. Um, I'm almost convinced Tony Finau is going to win this week. So Really? Yeah. So here's going to be an elevated status. Wow. Wow. Okay. Look at the form. Look at the form. It is. There are few guys who have the lead in form that Tony Finau does, right? You're talking about the Xander Shawfleys of the world. You're talking about Dustin Johnson. You know, Finau finished second in Saudi Arabia to DJ just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he's in great form. And I'm very much on the bandwagon that Kyle Porter is, which is when he goes out and shoots a 68 on Sunday. It's not like that's not his fault or it's not his detriment. And a lot of guys steal tournaments away from him by shooting a 64. If you shoot a 68 on Sunday at Riviera, you're going to win the golf tournament. Like yeah, and you're in contention. Um, Adam Scott shot a 70, one under and won this event last year. So I feel like this is the type of event it comes at, Greg, like somewhere where you don't need to shoot a 64 to, to run away with it. You know what, Rick? The, you bring up a, a very interesting point because I've thought a lot about Adam Scott's win last year. I haven't necessarily looked at the numbers and maybe there's some stats that support this, but um, uh, because of course, if there was a stat that said otherwise, we wouldn't use it, but (laughs) right. Of course (laughs) we we cherry pick these to back our case, but but Adam Scott last year, um, I remember being on HQ during this event last year and discussing that Adam Scott's putting was a, uh, a potential problem. It was a concern that we were looking at. And when he came down the stretch, there would be that moment that you mentioned earlier where you're at third base and you know that in the bottom of the ninth, it's going to come to you. And you're going to have that one moment where the tournament is won or lost and it's going to come on your weakness. If you're Adam Scott, that's the putter. And it didn't come until the 17th hole last year. You could argue there was a hole on the earlier on the back nine, maybe 14 where he got up and down for bogey. It was a huge bogey save, but he made about a six footer there. And then he gets to 17 and he has a birdie putt 
of about uh, 12 feet or so left to right, kind of along the edge of a ridge. And it was a challenging putt. And I said, this is, this is the moment. If he makes yeah. this, he wins easily. If he can make bogey on it. He's going to win if he makes this. And if he misses it, he's probably going to lose. And he poured it right in the middle. And it was an example of somebody's weakness coming through. He overcame that moment um, right there. And I, I could see Tony Fino having that opportunity. Um, the only challenge I have is you have the, the guys in the, with the recent form that rival him are right here with him in this range. Right. And you have with Xander and Cantlay, those are the two guys that come to my mind. Cantlay in the, in the last two weeks has a course record or a share of it, right? He is on fire and he's at home. So that's the one, the one area of concern is Shoffley and and Cantlay, but look, Fina's playing great. He's going to be a part of the story. You just, you just know it. Yeah, Adam Scott gained 1.6 strokes putting last year in total. So over four rounds, which is really all he needs to do. Be a be a right. slightly positive putter. You're going to win the right. golf tournament. But, but it all came down to one putt. Which right. Is the I remember point. that. And, I think yeah. we were on like we were on HQ together because I remember you being like, he's going to have to make a putt at some point. And yeah. there it was. Yeah. And he did. Awesome. And I said, I think I also said that he was going to probably not make it. And that that's why he wasn't going to win. <laughs> but we don't have to talk about that. No, nah, that that never happens. Um, we're going to jump down to the AK range, but actually before we do that, I think this is a really good spot for a, a question here from, from Clark in the chat. And, and see, I want to direct this to you because we've been talking about how many great players there are in this field. And Clark wants to know, with so many good players in this field, how do you go about narrowing this down, right? Like you can't play everybody. They're, like basically every player in the top 50s here. How are we even starting to narrow this down to a usable lineup or a usable core or however you want to create your lineups? It's a, such a good question because I've already tried to make some lineups. I, I always do before we do this show. And, and I'm always like, well, t- today I, I was really having a problem. But what I would say is, first of all, I, I don't want to call it a core, but but talk about or think about a couple guys that you really like. Like if you're going to if you know you're going to plug in DJ to your single entry lineups or your main lineups, or if you know you're going to play DJ and you're going to drop down and let's say play Hovland, wh- who we're going to talk about in a second. Jam them in and then see what works from there. You know what I'm saying? Have your variance established from a golfer selection standpoint after you establish your core. And then I think you'll you'll just find that you'll be in certain ranges and you can narrow it from there. So yeah, how many players do you put in your core? That's the thing. When when in, I was answering this to uh for Win Daily in our in our chat because I got that exact question just a few four or five days ago. And I don't necessarily have a core. What I mean by that is I don't have a core that I'm putting in every lineup. So what, when, when you say core, what I what, what I internalize there is, oh, I'm jamming these three guys in every lineup and then I'm just building from there. I don't really do that. I, I kind of have a little bit more variability than that. So, but to answer your question, three, like if I'm really honing in on on a quote core, there's three guys that I'm going to have in, in uh, quite a few lineups. I always say start your lineups with the guy you can't live without. That might, he might, it might be Dustin Johnson. It might be the most expensive player. It might be a guy at 7,500 that you think is the best value. Like a lot of people will make their lineups either top down or bottom up. I start with like the guy I cannot live without. And then the next guy I can't live without. And I kind of work my way through it that way. Uh, All right, gentlemen, we're going to jump down to the $8,000 range and we're going to get into the value portion of this field. But first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back $8,000. It's a fairly small tier. We've got three-time champion Bubba Watson at the top. We've got a couple of youngsters with Joaquin Neiman and Victor Hovland, Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris. And it goes down to the man who's all in, Jason Kokrak at $8,000. Greg, uh, this feels like a small $8,000 range. The 7K range is enormous, but this feels like a small range that we can kind of narrow down a little bit. Yeah, it, it feels like the easiest range looking at it. There's one guy that just jumps off the page to me. His name has been mentioned already, uh, and it's Victor Hovland. I know that C is going to be way up on him too, but you, you think about the key elements that we've discussed already. 
um, drive into the golf ball. I mean, Kyle Porter has described him as a Dustin Johnson type driver. Not mm. that he's as necessarily as long, but he has compared him to DJ and that that's the strength of his game. He's a great driver of the ball and it will always carry him through the tour. So we know that he is excellent in that area. He's hitting in an extremely high number of greens on tour this season. I want to say it's 74%, which is just uh, ridiculously high. Um, but the real reason that I like Victor Hovland so much this year is he has improved his short game dramatically. He is now it's either 58th or 60th. And off the top of my head, I can't, I can't remember which, but he's 58th or 60th strokes gain uh, around the green last year. He was 168th. So he's made a huge improvement around the green. And I think that's why he was able to contend at the farmer's insurance open, um, a, a golf course that really demanded great short game uh, along with this ball striking, of course, but that's the separator. That's the next step for him. That's the, the big improvement for him. So he is the, the biggest guy I'm looking at in this range. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, 8,700 feels kind of dirty, feels feels a little wrong. I mean, the yeah, guy's a, yeah. a, a multiple winner. He's he's in relatively good form. He's got a skill set that can contend anywhere. I'm pretty sure, I'd have to look this up, but because I, I know he was like 100th in the world at the time. I don't think he qualified for this event last year. I, I don't think he even qualified for it. And now he is two-time winner, top 15 player in the world. I don't know if he qualified or not. He definitely didn't play it. Which is which is of note. Um, right. See, we've got three-time champion Bubba Watson here. We talk so much about Bubba tracks. We've got uh, Will Zalatoris, who is the you know the flavor of the month for us, and and uh, Max Homa, who's been on a run. What does this range look like to you? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to be on Bubba. I, I might have a blind spot for Bubba. I will acknowledge that his ball striking has been really good, and obviously he has the track record here. But the next guy down, you know, from an upside standpoint, I think Joaquin Neiman is a really smart play. His ball striking has been very good, and, and he, he's a, he can be a long hitter. I just think he has plenty of upside. It's a little expensive if you compare him to, like, Victor Hovland or, you know, you go down the list to maybe even – a Max Homa who's playing well, but I, I like Joaquin Neiman's upside and, and I got to agree with Victor Hovland. I mean, his ball striking is amazing. He's improved with the short game specifically around the green coming off a second at the farmers. I mean, the, and by the way, just from a personality profile standpoint, he doesn't really seem to be affected by the moment. I just feel like the way he carries himself on the course, he's just kind of hitting the next shot. And, and I, I do think that's important when you're contending with this type of field at the top. So I like Victor Hovland's price quite a bit. As I go down, I mean, Max Homa, listen, I'm a little late to the party here. Uh, you know, I was on Max Homa, you know, before the restart. You know, this is over, well, this is about a year ago. And then he sort of fell off and, and I hadn't really been back on him. But now, and I wasn't on him last week either or the week before, but now I feel like, I don't want to say it's a bargain at 8,200, but I feel like he fits nicely into a lineup at that price. So I'm going to be focused on uh, Victor Hovland and Joaquin Neiman, uh, a little bit more Victor Hovland than Joaquin, admittedly, and uh, Max Homa as well. His stretch of golf, uh, basically the same exact time last year, like these five events leading up to Genesis, it, it, like he played great last year at this time. He's playing great this year at this Love time. It. I think, yeah, he just, he just loves it. He's getting it going. Um, Greg, I want to, I want to round out the AK range with a little chat about Matthew Wolf because it's it, how the mighty have fallen. I mean, he's down to $8,100. We were, uh, I, I did not have enough superlatives uh, just a couple of weeks ago to tell you how impressed I was with Matthew Wolf. And I, I, I think I want to kind of take this from a, like an instructor angle where the thing that has let him down is his weapon. The driver's been bad he's been losing he's been bleeding strokes off the tee over his last couple measured events and and that's usually the part that is uh so valuable for him so when a golfer kind of loses their weapon like i don't know if this is something he can kind of flip a switch on because he's usually so good at it or if we've got real problems here i'm i'm worried typically it's the easiest thing to get back is your strength, right? Your finger, your, your fingerprint as a player is, mm. uh, is the driver. Well, we just, we just have to get back. We don't have to improve anything. For example, okay. Victor Hovland's got to do some serious work on a short game. He's got to, he's got to kind of overhaul some things. He's got to make real changes. He's got to do things differently. Whereas with Matthew Wolf, it could be one day on the range with, with his coach, George Gankis. And all of a sudden, Hey, I'm, I'm back home. This is familiar. This is what I, oh, I remember, you know, I, I forgot that I have to do that in my setup position. And, and you may hear him say something like, um, you know, every single time I struggle with the driver, it's because I'm uh, standing too far away from the ball or I'm not getting enough turn 
or whatever it is. And so confidence comes back much quicker when your strength is the thing that you need to kind of get back. Um, especially if it's as strong as Matthew Wolf. Um, that being said, I'm, I don't like to take that risk in a range like this, right? I don't like to, to just rely. You're, I mean, he's 168th off the tee so far this year. Well, but the other thing is he's 211th around the green. That's, that's the problem. Thing, right? <laughs> if, so if, if, this was, was, if this was Detroit Golf Club and I'd be like, all right, well, if he figures it out, that's fine. But like, right. even if he figures that out, we still got that little problem. That's the short game. Yeah. And that's going to come into play no matter what, no matter how it's going to come into play. It will be tested. So I worry about that. I like what he does on the greens, which is why I wouldn't be surprised if he had a nice week. It's just I'm I'm staying away personally because of that short game. And even if he was driving it great, I'd be a little concerned of him because of that short game. So when that starts to improve, this may be a course we look at as a real positive one. But I'm I'm much more apt to go um, to to kind of go up to uh, uh, Cameron Smith in this range. Mm-hmm. If I was going to stay away from Hovland, my second choice in this range would be Cam Smith because he just has a ten. He he does have a T six here as his best record, and uh, he has a tendency of performing really well on really difficult golf courses. It, it always, you look at his recent yeah. form and just looking at this year, 11th at the CJ cup at shadow Creek, right? That's a, that's a, um, definitely a course on the challenging side, uh, at Sherwood he's T four he's T two at the masters, although it didn't play extremely difficult. It, it can ask some of the similar questions. So I look at him because of what he can do with the short game. I think this could be a week where he pops up. The seven thousand dollar range. This is uh, this is your big boy range. This is it's it's monstrous. There's a million guys in this range. It starts with a- Abraham Answer and Kevin Na. See, it goes all the way down to Matt Jones, Kyle Stanley, Ches Alex Norin. Uh, it's it's really a grab bag. I think you can get whatever you want here. So I ask you, what do you want? Yeah, I, I like Cam Davis, uh, Shez Rivy, and Luke List on, on first impression. I know those are kind of different profiles from a player standpoint, but with Cam Davis and Shez Rivy, what I like the most about them, at least in terms of their current form, just this last weekend, or I should say on Thursday, they both had really kind of bad day ones. And they both their ball striking from Friday to Sunday was really, really good. I happen to think Cam Davis has that sort of Sam Burns type upside, which of course, you know, wasn't realized last week. But I think both those guys have wins or or at least have win equity in their future, if not this week. So I like Cam Davis quite a bit. The ball striking is there with them. The short game is is pretty good. Um, Luke List is more of a you know, kind of a long shot play, but he's been striking the ball pretty well too. He's obviously like a pretty good course fit here. And you look at his price. I don't want to say he's a dart throw, but but his price is very reasonable. So I'm definitely going to have him in a couple of lineups. Not a guy I'm going to lean on, not a guy that I'm going to have in a core, but I, I do like him as well. But my favorite in this range is probably going to be Cam Davis. Mm. Uh, you're not going to get any arguments from me on that. Love the upside of Cam Davis. I'm a bit partial to Taylor Gooch at 7,200. He opens up a lot of pricing opportunities. He does what I love, which is he gains strokes in all four major categories. He's played here twice. He's gone 20th and 10th. Uh, had a top five at, it was either CJ Cup or Zoza. It was CJ Cup, definitely CJ Cup, which is a stacked field uh, like we are going to see this week. And and Greg, I want to get your thoughts on the 7K range as a whole, but I also want to answer a question uh, from the chat here from Spence who says, well, first of all, he says, hey guys, I'm, I'm the standard bearer chairman for the Genesis. So first of all, your honor, welcome. Thank you for joining for joining us. That sounds very important. I love that. Um, he said, there's one player you need to keep your eye on, and it's Matt Kuchar. Year in, year out, he has a lot of great success, which, Greg, we know is absolutely true. I feel like you and I have had this conversation about Matt Kuchar where he's now kind of a different player from what the success on the PGA Tour is right. He's no long, he's not, he's never been a long hitter. And when you're not long, you really have to be exact everywhere else. He's not really that exact anymore. I don't know. I'm kind of in this awkward spot with Cooch. I, I just don't think he's playing well. And that's the thing. You're, you're right, Rick. He's at a disadvantage to the, the modern. He's a short neck giraffe, right? He, he doesn't fit in anymore. He used to, but he, he doesn't fit in anymore. So the, the problem with Kuchar is he has to be playing at an extremely high level. Um, and I don't see him with the iron play performing at the level that he was a couple of years ago when he was still winning and contending regularly. So you have to play. This is like the Webb Simpson issue. When you're at yeah. that disadvantage off the tee, you don't bring that advantage, which 
which correlates into strokes gained, right? So every day Bryson steps on the first tee, he's got built-in strokes gained because of his club head speed. There's no doubt about it. There's no way you can change it. It's going to be like that forever. His club head speed translates directly into strokes gained. Mm. Kucher doesn't have that. So he has to add it up elsewhere and it becomes extremely difficult. And if you look at him statistically, he's only gaining in two areas and it's slightly right. He's gaining around the green. He's gaining putting um, for the year of 2020. He's 110th around the green and he's 108th putting. He's not gaining a lot. And I just, I I think it's a, it's a really, really um, tall task for a guy that isn't in great form to go out there on this golf course and kind of pop up. Is there someone else? I completely agree with you, by the way. Is there someone yeah. else or someone's else in this 7K range that might be more your flavor? Oh, yeah. Um, my <laughs> oh, yeah. one of my this is maybe this is where Rick, you mentioned a guy in like the 75, right? You a guy you may start your lineup with. Yeah. Uh, the guy that I'm looking at, I'm I'm licking my chops over is Carlos Ortiz. Okay. Um, I, I look at him in this range and I think he does everything well he's 49th for the year around the green he's is may surprise he's 34th off the tee he drives mm-hmm. it a long way 302 yards off the tee hits a lot of greens um hitting nearly 72 percent of his greens for the year um so with that short game which is quite good and with his um with his driving ability and his recent form which has been just excellent he seems to always be a part of the conversation and then um also his course history he's never finished outside the top 26 here he has a couple of T26 finishes um, and a couple of finishes inside of that. So I really like the course history. And he's coming off a, a stretch of a T8 at Mayakoba. This is after his win. So he wins the Houston Open, the most forgotten right. win on the PGA Tour this season, <laughs> right? Because thanks to Dustin Johnson. Yeah. T8 at Mayakoba. Um, Century Tournament of Champions didn't go great. But then T14 at Sony, T29 at Farmers. T4 at waste management. I think the guy's hot. I think he's he's ready to um, to put up a, a great fight here this week. I love that. I love that. Uh, Sia, before we bop down to the 6K range, am I missing? I mean, there's so many names. We could talk about all of these guys. For the first time in a long time, uh, books have moved. I saw Ricky Fowler at 250 to 1 earlier today, which is pretty crazy to see. But is there anybody else in this 7K range that we need to chat on before I before I move us along? Are you sure you don't want to chat about Nate Lashley too soon? Uh, I uh, We don't have time. We don't have time. I mean, I could talk about Nate Lashley for 10 hours here. I was rooting for you, Rick. Um, l- you. Let me ask you this. This guy had a, an amazing Sunday. He was not on my radar because he had recently withdrawn and missed a couple cuts, but any love for Charlie Hoffman from either of you two? He's actually withdrawn. So I don't have it in front of me, but he withdrew like two out of his last four starts. One of them was like in the second round. I, I don't know if there is, I have not heard if there is like some overarching injury thing that's going on. And I hate to play the, is he going to WD game? Like I, that's, I never did that with Jason day. I never did it with Louis Eustazen because it's such a small percent of the time that that's going to happen. But it feels like whatever his percentage is, is like five times everybody else's percentage of withdrawing right now. It still might be less than 10%. But yeah, I, I think with Charlie, you are just having to embrace what is going to be probably a very volatile result. Something from a missed cut or a, a withdrawal where he plays a round and a half to a top 10. I, you know, I'm only pointing him out. He was six under yesterday. Uh, he finished seventh at the AT&T. Uh, he hasn't done well at this track the last two times, but he did have a fourth place finish in 2017. Listen, he's not a guy that's ever on my radar. I just, when I saw the number yesterday in terms of, um, in terms of his finishing place and how well he shot, I started to think, okay, you know, maybe I just have a blind spot for some of these guys. Maybe Charlie Hoffman is actually a guy that should be in the player pool. I don't know. I got one other guy. Hit, hit us with I, it. I don't know. All right. I, I think um, this is important. I, I think this is a really, really good play. And I just kind of, it kind of popped in my head and um, I was looking at it earlier, mulling it over at KH Lee. I, mm. I think he's, he's down at 7,100 and he has a nice record here. He's only played here twice, but a T25 and a T13 and his recent form, you know, he's coming off a T2 at waste management. Maybe that was the peak for him. I don't know, but if you look, he also has a T19 at the Sony, T32 at the American Express. Farmers didn't quite go his way, but if you look at his profile, he's 27th around the green, um, which strokes gain around the green. That's really his strength is, yeah. is his short game. 
is not really as long as I'd like, but that course history, I, I, I feel like the course history is sticky here. And if it, you have some good is. course history, it can be, uh, so he might be a guy I'd take a shot on. He doesn't check all the boxes, but we're talking about $7,100 here. I, I don't think he has to check all the boxes. I'll take a shot with, with KH Lee. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. It is a pretty sticky course history. I mean, anytime you see a three-time winner, a two-time winner, a lot of guys who have uh, top 20s year in and year out, it's a pretty sticky, uh, pretty sticky history. Okay, 6K, gentlemen. Let's put a bow on this with some value. It starts with Cam Champ, Doug Gim, Joel Damon, Matthew Neesmith, Nick Taylor. They're all 6,900. And it goes down to Willie Mack, Tyler Strafacci, Tyler Duncan, a couple of Tylers at 7,000 uh, or at 6,000, excuse me, uh, down in that range. See ya. Who's your man or man's in the $6,000 range? I got a few that I'm looking at initially. I think Matthew Naismith is just killing the ball from a ball striking standpoint. I mean, off the tee, he's he's just okay. But his approach, I mean, he was gaining almost two strokes per round at the AT&T on approach. I mean, the guy is really striking the ball well. So in this range, I'll definitely look for that. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have any course history here, but his last three tournaments, 16th, 7th, 48th, so, I mean, he's he's flashing enough upside for me to find value there. I, I was on Michael Thompson last week, Greg. I, I know you were as well. Um, I like Michael Thompson. I just think he's always underrated. Listen, this is a classy field here, but I do like Michael Thompson. And then Scott Piercy is kind of more of a long shot play. I... I like those. I completely forgot when we were up in the 7K range, I was going to mention Brendan Steele. And the reason that I was going to mention him, and we rarely talk about FanDuel on this channel, he is the min price on FanDuel, which I think is a pricing error because he should Whoa. not be the min price. So uh, if you're playing on FanDuel, heads up. Obviously, he could still miss the cut, but he is certainly not a min price player. So I wanted to mention that before we before I forgot again, Greg, um, $6,000 yeah. range for you. I mean, we've got uh, Mackenzie Hughes, who I know we both say, hey, he's a popper. He's got a bunch of top 15s in his last 20 starts. We've got Howard Varner III, who has, you know, touched the lead here on a Sunday. I, I mean, I, I don't know if those guys do it for you, but but who does? Yeah, I you know, I struggle in this range a little bit to find guys that I really am, am excited about. Like the 7K range to me has some really intriguing options. Um, so I think Matthew Neesmith, if you look at his recent form, it's clear that he is um, hitting the ball really well. Uh, and I think his success on the on the Corn Ferry Tour from a couple of years ago, I mean, he was right there with Scotty Scheffler all year. So he's he is that kind of a talent. Last year, his first year on tour didn't quite go as well as it did for a Scotty Scheffler. So I, I think Matthew Neesmith is a guy to definitely consider. Um, so I, I do like him. There's a guy like a camp champ who has the distance that that is just always that advantage. And it could bode well for a course like this. But I, it's a it's a really volatile pick, which I, I there's a portion of me that that likes that. I think he has a really nice touch around the greens, too. Um, so I'm. Um, I'm a soft lean on him. I also think Sebastian Munoz is a really good price. Mm. I do. I think it's just a solid price for him. He's a really nice driver of the ball. He's not driving it great this year, but I think he had last year. He was 50th on tour um, approaching the green and off the tee. So in both of those areas, he's not quite at that level this year. Um, and, and the recent form has been, he missed the cut at waste management with a tough round. Maybe it was a one-off. He was tied 17th at the century tournament of champions. I, I think you could see a Sebastian Munoz pop up in this range. Um, but I, I think it's a, you know, Scott Piercy, I, uh, I'm sorry, not Scott Piercy. Mackenzie Hughes is another player I, I looked at cause I like his fingerprint, short, but he's missed the guy. cut. Yeah. Short game. He's just missed the cut both times. And that, that worries me. So maybe he learns something and figures out how to compete out here. Um, but yeah, I would say those are my Sebastian Munoz, um, Cam Champ taking a shot at him, and Matthew Neesmith would be, would be my three guys here. I wasn't going to bring up Sebastian Munoz because last time I said he was obviously the most mispriced golfer, and he finished. Uh, I don't think he finished dead last. I think he finished second to last. Which well, was I'll be the one to bring him up. There you go. So I, I obviously agree, but I didn't want to bring it up. Um, the only other, the only other guy that I thought was interesting here was sixty nine hundred dollar Doug Gim. Uh, he's on a pretty good stretch right now. So his last three events, he's gone T five at American Express, T seventeen at the Farmers, T twenty one last week, and he is thirty first on tour in approach. Which obviously, come on, you're going to get me if you're thirty first on tour in approach and you're sixty nine hundred dollars. I'll fall into that trap every single week. Also, gentlemen, we might have to have a spinoff pod. Because Corn Ferry Tour 
is now in the DraftKings lobby, which is... Wow. I did not know that. Yes, it happened about two minutes before we went on air. And a wow. uh, friend of the pod, Brandon Wu, is the first ever Corn Fairy Slate most expensive golfer. That's kind of cool. Wow. Love that. That is great. Nick Hardy's in the field. Um, it's that's the, we're, I'm gonna have to dive into some corn fairy stats and see what's going on down there. I imagine that is like the most volatile thing ever. Oh, it is. It really. This is where you see. Just go back. I I, I always do this. This is where I get most of my corn. Most of my corn fairy tour information comes from uh, looking at Matthew Naismith now that he's on the PGA tour. <laughs> right, looking back at what he did on the. But if you look at it, most of the guys that have a lot of success on the corn fairy tour, they are very volatile they're popping yes. off with a couple of top you know a couple top threes throughout the year and they earn their points with wins and with a couple really high finishes and that's kind of the new age of the game right even on the pga tour you it's we've talked about this rick the 80 20 rule you make 80 yeah. percent of your dollars in 20 percent of your starts and so that the corn fairy tour might be a 90 10 rule but you <laughs> you are just you're going for everything because one to win out there you have to shoot such a low number so you got to go at all the flags. It's like a Monday qualifier for four days. Um, so, so you yes. got to play really aggressively. And that leads to birdies and it leads to bogeys. So you can you can burn out, but you just have to have a couple of good weeks. So I imagine that is a really fun uh, game to play. If you like scoring and you like birdies and you like lots of draft kicks points, I imagine the Corn Fairy Tour is the place for you. See, yeah, so I, we got your live re your reaction live here on the on the pod. Corn uh, Fairy coming at you. Your thoughts? Well, you, you said Brandon Wu, and it actually reminded me of the Outlaw Tour. You know, we, we didn't have any sports except for the Outlaw Tour, which was in Arizona, I believe. And I remember playing, rostering Brandon Wu. Um, I, that's exciting. I, honestly, um, I... I Golf is such a good DFS sport. And so the more, whether it's Corn Ferry or Outlaw or otherwise, the more golf DFS in, in my book, the better. And, and frankly, most people that come over to DFS golf, I think there's, especially with the NFL season ending, like most recently, I think they're kind of starting to realize, hey, this is a four-day sweat. In some cases, a two-day sweat. But a four-day sweat instead of like an eight or 10-hour sweat in NFL or you know MLB or any of these other sports. So I'm all for it. Uh, mark my words, Champions Tour is coming. And I will be rostering a $12,500 Phil Mickelson. I can see that <laughs> happening constantly. It's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, and this was a blast, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Producer Jacob behind the scenes doing a great job as always. Greg Ducharme, thank you. You can find him on Twitter at TheRealGFD. That's Sia Najad. You can find him on Twitter at Sia Najad. Pretty easy. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut. And we'll catch you next time. 